comprehensive sermon that Jesus teaches, chapters 5, 6, and 7. We are in the middle section of chapter 7. Now, I have to admit that some pastors that I've talked to really dislike preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. They say it's too moralistic, so they'd rather just skip over it and preach on something else. I think some of my friends miss the point of Jesus' sermon because we have to look at this sermon in its complete context. In the very beginning of chapter 5, Matthew tells us that Jesus began this sermon with this powerful embrace of God for you, for his people, for his followers, for his disciples. He embraced them. Remember, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are mourning. Blessed are those who are persecuted. He goes through this uh, litany of beautiful blessings in the midst of turmoil, in the, in the midst of a challenged life. God embraces you with his love, with his blessing. And then what we are reminded as we work through this sermon is that the deeper Jesus goes, so deeper the challenge goes. Jesus is not saying that he is abandoning us. What he is saying is, this is what I want you to think about doing and then do it. Jesus is challenging us in challenging times. Jesus wanted his disciples to know, and he wants us to know, that the road ahead will be tough. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But by remaining with him, we can do anything. Let's not lose heart especially at this time. Let's not lose hope. So today, Jesus starts us out with the golden rule. I remember learning this from my parents. So I knew it from a youngster, but I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't know that it came from the Bible until I was like in middle school, late middle school, or early junior high. I remember discovering it. Well, I have to explain, I used to spend Christmas break and a couple of weeks of summer break at my grandparents' farm with some of my cousins. It was some of the most precious memories that I have as a young child. And I remember we would always be able to go on ventures, adventures through the farm, into the barns, looking for the kittens that lived up in the hay mounds. Um, but we also would take hikes and walks down the, the gravel road uh, to the church that my grandparents went to. It was a little country church, St. John's Lutheran Church. And uh, next to the church, when I was a child, there was this two-room schoolhouse. It was an abandoned schoolhouse. But what I discovered from my grandmother was that my father and all of my aunts and uncles had gone to that school through the eighth grade. And it was built right next to the church. It was a public school. Now, we'd get into all kinds of trouble for this today, but this was back in the 1930s and the 1940s. It was a public school that educated people in a Lutheran Christian tradition 
through the eighth grade. The, the unified school district sent money to, to all these uh, little ethnic regions in northwest Iowa, and they were able to, uh, to hire parochial school teachers to teach at their school. Now, when we went into the abandoned schoolhouse, it was like we walked back into time because all of the things that they used with the, the students, the teachers used, were still in the room. The old textbooks, um, the old chalkboard, um, and on the chalkboard was written the golden rule, and it, and it said Matthew 7, 12. That was my first discovery. Ah, that wasn't just my parents telling me this. That's actually from the, from the Bible. I was surprised, but I shouldn't have been. Because what, what was being attempted to be taught was that our lives in the world and our lives with God are really inseparable. I know we have the separation of church and state here as a nation, and we need to respect that, but at the same time, we cannot deny that as Christians, we follow Jesus. And not just for an hour at church, but where we are in the world. Everything that Jesus says, everything that has been taught in the Law and the Prophets, it's summarized in this golden rule. Everything that Jesus has taught in the Sermon on the Mount up to this point, chapter 5, chapter 6, all the way up to chapter 7, verse 11, is summed up in the golden rule. Do unto others what you would like them to do to you. And this is, I think, important because today we are a church scattered. We used to gather for worship. We used to gather for classes. We used to gather for choirs. But today, it's different. Today, we are a church that no longer can gather for the time being. And so we are a church scattered. There are some wonderful reminders of this in the early church. We won't go into that today. That'll be coming in, a, in another sermon. But let me just say that, um, that I have been talking about this for some time as a pastor. Now, I did not think it was going to be a pandemic that created this opportunity and this challenge. But we are here. And now is the time for us to enter that very narrow gate that Jesus talks about. Some of you have been trained and huddled in the primary aspects of discipleship. Today, you are being called to start ministering in the trenches with the tools that you have learned. To the places where God is calling you. So thank you. Thank you for listening to God's call and for responding to God's call. Since we cannot gather at this time, we must be the church, even scattered. And who knows? Maybe this is exactly what the church needs. Today is the day 
that we pioneer a new way of being church. And, as your typical pastor theologian, it begins with a question. <laughs> what is the fundamental purpose of the church? Have you ever thought about that question? I think about it a lot. Probably won't be surprised. What is the fundamental purpose of the church? The author and pastor, Harold Percy, suggests that we should begin with asking why questions, not how questions. In congregational life, the question why should always precede the question how. We are practical people. We want to know how to do things. We want to know how to operate things. We want to make things happen. So we often jump to the how questions. How do we do worship? How do we do confirmation? How do we do ministry? How do we do outreach into the world? But before we can ask the question, how, we must ask the question, why? Why does New Covenant exist? Why are we here as the body of Christ? Why does New Covenant do the things the way we do? Instead of asking how we do things at this time, I'm asking us to think about why we do things the way we do at this time. You know, one of the important lessons of this why question, I think, comes from the book of Joshua. In, uh, in, in the very end of, of the book of Joshua, the 24th chapter, Joshua shares his farewell with the Israelites. He knows that he is not going to be with them for much longer. He has become an old man. And after saying farewell to Israel, he says this. He reminds them of the covenant that God has given them through the history of the people of Israel. He begins in chapter 24 by reminding them about Abraham and Sarah, how they had come from the land beyond the Euphrates River, which, you know, today would be in Iraq, clear beyond that. And, and that they had come to the promised land, to Canaan, and that God had given them this land, and that God had called them to worship him alone. They had other gods that they worshipped in this faraway land, but now God was calling them to worship one God the God of Israel. Then he says that God told him to share with them that next he sent Moses and Aaron. As the Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt, he sent Moses and Aaron to free them. And then they were freed, but they wandered into the wilderness for 40 years. And then he says, but finally God said to tell you, that I brought you out of the land of the wilderness and that I helped you to cross over the Jordan into the promised land, the land that I had promised you. And then I gave you the land all the way down to Jericho. And then this is what he says in chapter 24, verses 15, uh, 14 and 15. So, fear the Lord, 
Joshua says, and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and for my family, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is asking the question, who will the people serve? Because he knows that they need to be reminded of the why they would serve. Before we can get to the how we will serve, we must ask the question of why we will serve. Why does New Covenant exist? Well, if you remember seeing on the front wall of the sanctuary, it reminds us to make Jesus Christ the heart of every home, to make Jesus Christ the heart of every family. And we do that not just with the church, but our goal, our vision encompasses the whole campus, the school, as well as the church. And as we begin to understand the, the question of why we exist, then we can ask the question more specifically. So we, we gather to worship. We gather to make disciples. And then we, we gather to be sent out into the world. So why do we do those things? Well, we worship to offer our thanks and praise to God and to be reminded of the promises that we have from God. Just like Joshua was reminding them of, of how God had been faithful to them, we worship to be reminded of how God has been faithful to us and how God has given us this beautiful relationship with Jesus, a relationship that, that is so important and so integral to our lives. And then we make disciples so that we can make disciples and so that the church can make disciples, that the body of Christ can continue to make disciples. I'm having a little fun with this pun, but you get the point. What is the purpose of making disciples? It's to make more disciples. And parents, you have a primary role as the parents of, of children. You're in the process right now of making disciples, whether you realize it or not. They'll be discipled in your life. So how are you leading? Since I can't go to the gym anymore, <laughs> um, I've been going out for a walk. Now don't worry, I'm keeping to my social distancing. Um, don't want to get in trouble with anyone here. But uh, I've been trying to get out and walk almost every day. And um, uh, one of the things that I had missed, because I don't walk outside very often, especially for this time of year, is how beautiful the smells are of the citrus trees in particular. 
and there are all kinds of citrus trees and backyards. And, and so as I walk around, there, there are periods or points where you can just enjoy this beautiful aroma. And we have a gardenia that Patty has planted in the front, and I love to go and smell that. And so we have these beautiful plants and trees and flowers that blossom and that bear fruit. And then I, on the walk, I notice that there's this one tree that looks dead, I mean completely dead, but I know it's not dead because we have one of those trees out here at the church too, in the campus here, on the boulevard I believe it is. Um, and I need Irene or Judy to tell me what kind of tree it is. I don't remember the name of it. But it's a, it's a strange tree because it looks dead except for about one or two months of the year. And then it fills out with this beautiful, beautiful lavender blossom. And it's, it's worth it for that one month. It has so much beauty. And then there are some trees on the walk that I see that just need to be, come down. They're, they're dead. They're just taking up space. They're not doing anything. As I was thinking of my walk, I was reminded of the importance of that walk in verses 17 through 19 for today's reading. A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. <clears throat> I don't think Jesus meant this as a judgment, as a condemnation. I know that it's heard by many people, maybe especially pastors in that light. But what I think Jesus is doing is challenging us. We have this awesome relationship. Jesus is not going to abandon you. He's not going to let you go. We have this amazing relationship. God loves you so much. Remember how he embraced us in the beginning of this sermon? That love hasn't changed. That hasn't gone away. What Jesus is saying is how will you live? How will you trust? How will you serve? And he isn't saying this to individuals. He is teaching this to the disciples as a group, as a whole. So we don't listen to this as individuals, as personal judgment. We listen to this as a local church, as a congregation, as New Covenant Lutheran Church. Are we bearing fruit? And what does our fruit look like? Is it visible one month of the year? That'd be beautiful. Is it year-round? Or is our fruit non-existent? You see, that's the question that Jesus is asking us as a body to talk about. New Covenant makes disciples to reach out into the world, a world that desperately needs spiritual help, physical help, emotional help. So how are we doing? 
What difference are we making in the life of our community? How are we making a difference in the world? And what are we doing to make disciples, to share the gospel, and to meet the needs of the world? I don't have the answer because then it would just be me answering it. This is a question that we as the body of Christ, as the church, as New Covenant, need to wrestle with. And I hope it's a conversation that we can continue. We'll have to do it online for the immediate future, but there will be a day, and hopefully soon, when we will be reunited. And we can also talk about it then face-to-face. But the question continues. Why do we exist? And then once we begin to figure out that we exist to worship God, to make disciples, and to serve the world, the next question is, how are we doing? What does our fruit look like? Well, as we enter into that question, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your amazing love. We thank you that you're not here to judge us individually. You're here to challenge us as a church. And what better time than this challenging time to call us forth to be the church? Help us to wrestle with these questions of why we exist. What's our purpose? And how are we doing in relationship to that purpose? And help us to be the church in the ways that we can in our love and faithfulness towards you and in our love and faithfulness towards our neighbors. We pray for your guidance in your direction. Give us discerning ears to hear you and to respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.